Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Let's take our Bibles again and go back to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. When we come to chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark, we are moving into the Judean ministry. In fact, the chapters 1 through 9 of the Gospel of Mark deal with his Galilean ministry. Now, Mark's the shortest of the Gospels, and so Mark does not include as many activities, incidents, miracles, etc., as some of the other Gospels. So we're jumping ahead. Chapter 10 through 15 of the Gospel of Mark covers Jesus' Judean ministry. So he's going to begin his Judean ministry. The subject of these first 12 verses of chapter 10 is the subject of divorce. And what he's going to do in chapter 10 is address several problems. And the first one is the problem of divorce. I'm going to look at it since we're doing the theme of the servant in the Gospel of Mark. I'm calling this message the servant and his commitment. The servant and his commitment. Because we're going to make an analogy to marriage. We are supposed to be one with Christ and committed to Christ. A number of you have been noticing the younger generation, as I have been, that seems to younger generations, because I think there's a couple of them behind me and a couple more behind some of you, that seem to lack commitment. And so we want to talk about the servant and his commitment tonight and make the analogies to a marriage and divorce. I'm not necessarily going to preach on divorce. Let's read this section, however, verses 1 through 12. It says, He rose from thence and cometh into the coasts of Judea, by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort unto him again. So much like his Galilean ministry, people come unto him. And as he was wot, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him. So we're, I don't know where we are, third year, fourth year of the ministry of Christ moving along. We've already seen a little bit in our Sunday school hour about the problems that the Pharisees brought to the Lord. So here they're questioning him. They asked him, trying to catch him in trouble, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? I like how Jesus answers, often answers their questions with a question. And he answered and said, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. 
and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter, evidently privately. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and he be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now let's look at this passage of scripture, things that Jesus noted about marriage and divorce. There's seven of them. Number one, now he's beginning his Judean ministry. Number one, Jesus knew the problems with divorce. Now these Pharisees are coming in verse 2 and trying to get him in trouble, asking him a question. Their thought was, we'll ask him a question that he can't get out of. Now you have to understand, as today, there are, you can go to just about any preacher or any church or group and you can get varying ideas about what the scriptures teach regarding divorce and marriage and remarriage after divorce and so forth. A lot of variety of interpretations there. So it was in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the Jews had two groups, two what we call schools of thought. I'm not sure why these are named so, if they're named because of a particular person that held these views, or what? There was a conservative group and a more liberal group, and I think both of them allowed for divorce. The conservative group was called the Shemai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I. The other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, I believe, include that one phrase, except for fornication, or the uncleanness. Now, the Shammai group says that the uncleanness meant adultery, so that a wife could be loosed from her husband or whoever could be loosed from the other spouse because of adultery. The Hillel group is the other group, H-I-L-L-E-L, Hillel. They were the more liberal group. They said that this uncleanness was any uncleanness. In the Old Testament... There was the provision if the husband basically didn't like his wife that he could divorce her. Now, you have to also think that in the Old Testament, they're thinking in terms of the betrothal period, like Joseph and Mary. Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and he was minded to put her away before they came together, before the marriage actually took place. So you have to also keep that in mind, and I'm not going to go into all those details about that today. But the thing is that there was, there was different views held by the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Jewish people in Jesus' day. So for the Pharisees to come and ask Jesus a question, it's like, we'll ask him a question. It doesn't matter what he answers, he's going to get in trouble. Looking for opportunities to get the Lord in trouble. So that was their thought. They are going to ask him this question, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Now, I think in the other Gospels, the question was put this way, is it lawful for any reason? So they're evidently taking this position of the Hillel group. They said, it, pick your reason. You can get divorced for whatever reason you wanted to. And so they're asking Jesus, is it lawful for a man to put his wife for any reason? 
Now, if Jesus were to directly answer that question, yes or no, then it would be the wrong answer. He would get in trouble. He didn't do that. He asked them a question. He said, what did Moses command you? He's taking them back to some prior time. So, first of all, Jesus knew the problems with divorce. He he was not unaware of them, and he was not trying to skirt around them. He had his answers, and he's going to pretty much tell us what he thinks about marriage and divorce. They gave the answer, verse 4, and they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Now the Lord then explained, yes, that's correct, verse 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. Now, whatever we might think about divorce, again, I'm not preaching on that and giving you my opinion about it and what I think about it and all that sort of thing this evening. I'm going to try to make an analogy to our lives as servants of the Lord. What we do know are these things. Number one, Jesus knew the problems with divorce. Number two, Jesus saw divorce under Moses, or like Moses, as the hardness of the heart. It says that here in Mark and in the other Gospels as well. That Moses allowed, suffered, as they said it here in verse 4, the bill of divorcement due to the hardness of the heart. So Jesus saw divorce as the hardness of the heart. That we do know for sure. You can say it this way. There was really no command in the Old Testament to divorce. It was permitted. The word suffer there in verse 4, even though the Pharisees are using that word, is the concept. So in the Old Testament, it only permitted divorce. And so we can note some things about this as well. And I think this is maybe not so much the idea amongst biblical characters, but certainly in the ancient world. And there's the carryover of this in some cultures even today. In the ancient world, women were treated like property. In fact, there was a time when the woman wasn't allowed to own property, and a time when the woman could not pursue a divorce, it was only the man. And a man could, in ancient cultures, pursue as many wives as he wanted. Polygamy, we call that. And he could discard them whenever and wherever or however he wanted to. So he could kick a wife out, dispose of her if he wanted to, just like you do with a piece of property. Well, this piece of property isn't working for me, and so I'm going to unload it. I'm going to get rid of it. And, of course, it's kind of the old old idea of the the caveman dragging the woman by the hair. I don't know if that actually ever happened, but in some cultures they treat uh, women that way. In this culture, in this ancient culture, there seems to be no concern for morality, no concern for what we would call today marital law. God's will was not taken into account at all. It reminds me of Genesis 6 when the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they did chose as they wanted. They didn't consult God about the will of God, about who should marry. And of course there's an insensitivity to any kind of women's rights in this culture. 
Now, the Old Testament under Moses was not a loose law, but and it wasn't quite like that ancient culture either. It required a written contract of divorce. That's why Moses said, you, uh, I'll give you a writ or a writing of divorce. In other cultures, that was evidently unheard of. So Moses, I think, is introducing something new. And it required some time and uh, some thought before any divorce could be issued. So they would, you know, have time to, th- to think this through and, and uh, maybe, maybe be even turning this around. There was also a third party that was to be legally brought into that proceeding. So they called it a bill of divorce. So when we come to Moses allowing, suffering the bill of divorcement, it was a concession. It was really not the will of God. Jesus is going to explain that here in a moment. So divorce was allowed only because men's hearts were hard. A hard heart is always presented in the Bible as a sinful heart. And divorce was, I think we can properly say, divorce was never the will or the purpose of God. So Jesus saw divorce as the hardness of heart. Number three, Jesus also saw marriage as God's way since creation. He'll present this here in Mark, as well as in other of the Gospels. He says, verse 6, But from the beginning of creation, so marriage starts with Adam and Eve, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Of course, we could wax eloquent on all of that, male and female, not male and male, or female and female. There are three thoughts here. This marriage is God's way. There is a creative truth to it. There's also a spiritual truth to it. When God created, if you go back to the days of creation, evidently on those days of creation, day five is when he creates the fishes and the birds, and then day six, the animals. Evidently, when he creates the fishes, the birds, and the animals, he creates them en masse, okay, and multiplicity of them, many couples, you know, not just one and two, one and two drafts, or one and two, you know, male, female, elephant, and a male, female, whatever, but males and females, evidently, of each of what we would today call species. However, when he makes man, he makes one man and one woman. Different, distinct. From the beginning, they were male and female. And Eve was created for Adam. It wasn't a bunch of giraffes that, okay, well, let's pick which one's going to go with which. No, God chose So marriage was God's way. There's the creative truth, a spiritual truth with this, because man is a higher creature than the animals. And there is a logical truth to this. When the Lord creates the one man and the one woman, they belong to each other. There was no question. You know, Adam didn't say, I don't think maybe, Lord, you should have made her with a different color of hair or different shape or whatever. Nothing along that line at all. 
Now, when the animals came before Adam so he could name them, I think they came male and female, but this man and this woman belong together, one with one. The animals created together or in mass. So Jesus saw marriage as God's way since creation. By the way, it's God's idea. He's the one that said it's not good for the man to be alone. Number four, what else do we see about this principle? Jesus saw marriage as the most precious bond, a bond that cleaves. He says, from the beginning it was not so. Therefore, for this cause, verse 7, shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. Jesus saw marriage as a most precious bond, a bond that cleaves. You've heard it said before, there's the leaving, the cleaving, and the weaving. All right, so this man was to leave his father and his mother and to cleave to his wife. This is what was recorded in Genesis. So the one man was to leave his family and this one man was to cleave to his wife and, of course, create a new family. So the man leaves his father and the mother. A new union takes place. It's not just the leaving of father and mother. There's the cleaving and the cleaving. The words for cleaving is like glue and it's supposed to be a permanent act. It's also the concept of a close and intimate relationship. And then, of course, it says, they too shall be one flesh. And so we use the word weaving, as other preachers have done as well. So you work at that. You leave mom and dad, you cleave to your husband or wife, and then you weave that marriage together. It takes work. A very precious bond, a bond that cleaves. Jesus saw marriage as that most precious bond. Someone said it this way, that God has designed the family with this leaving, cleaving, and weaving to be the institution or the means by which man is to carry out the purposes of God on earth. And I think that's true. And so uh, breaking up that relationship would be tearing down that structure of the family and would be undermining the purpose of God. What else did Jesus see? Jesus said he should uh, leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife And the two, verse 8, shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. Principle number five. Jesus saw marriage as the closest of human bonds, as two becoming one flesh. That's not said of any other relationship. Business partners, relationships between mothers and daughters, fathers and sons. No one else becomes one flesh but these two people who leave, cleave, and weave. So it is a relationship that is of the closest of human bonds. And I don't think there's anything that is any closer than that. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, because we need to make the practical application that we haven't been doing in our thinking already. In Ephesians, Paul is making an analogy to marriage, uh, to the the relationship of the believer to Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife, and as Christ is the head of the church. There's even as, so there's the analogy. 
and he's the savior of the body, wherefore, uh, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So we as servants of Christ, Mark is a book about service. We as the servants of Christ need to submit to him. Husbands are to love their wives. Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. All right, we have, and he's bringing that analogy out. So he says about the men, so verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. We are members of his flesh, or rather of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and a mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, he's not necessarily bringing this out in this passage of Scripture, but we can do this and make this analogy that if we, as a Christian, are bound to Christ in a one-union relationship, that that ought to be severed. I don't think we lose our salvation. I don't believe that's possible. But we can be separated from the Lord cause a disjunction with the Lord through our sin. Break that fellowship. Rather than leaving, not father and mother, but leaving the past and sin, cleaving to the Lord like glue, sticking with Him, and weaving our relationship with the Lord. See, that takes work, doesn't it? So marriage then is the picture of this relationship of the servant of the Lord with His Master. We ought to have that relationship with the Lord that is so like a marriage, bound together, as the songwriter said, bound together with love's strong cord. Now, Jesus, number six, saw marriage as a divine, spiritual bond wrought by God. Notice what else he says in Mark's Gospel, verse number nine. Jesus said, What therefore God hath joined together... Let not man put asunder. So Jesus is recognizing that marriage is a divine spiritual bond that is brought about by God. And he says, what God then has put together, let no man put asunder. God joins this relationship. So the one flesh concept is not just physical. It's supposed to be emotional and spiritual as well. So we leave sin, we cleave to the Lord, and we spiritually weave our relationship with Him and become one in Christ. Not one flesh, but one in Christ. And of course that is through our obedience and unity with Christ and doing what we ought to do. So Jesus saw that marriage was indeed a divine spiritual bond That was wrought by Christ. And we see that here in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. In verse 32 he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he's talking about a husband-wife relationship in relation to the church. Christ married to us. And that marriage bond being held together. And then lastly, Jesus also saw divorce and remarriage as the commission of adultery. This is where we get into the 
various interpretations in modern days and, of course, in the days of years gone by as well. And in Jesus' day, Mark 10, verse 10, and in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. So evidently they had some questions about what Jesus was teaching. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away, that's the language of divorce, his wife, and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a man put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So Jesus saw whatever we might think about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Jesus saw divorce and remarriage as adultery. And so the spiritual analogy. If we make a separation from the Lord because of our sin, it's like committing spiritual adultery. In our marriages, it takes two. If one of those individuals is not committed to the marriage, it's not going to work. It takes both sides to be committed to that relationship. When we talk about the Lord, He is committed. So if our relationship with the Lord fails, we don't lose our salvation, but if we lose our fellowship with the Lord, it's not the Lord's fault. It's our fault. We're the ones who are not committed. We're the ones who violate. We're the ones who commit the spiritual adultery. So what God does is what Hosea did. Hosea was told to love a woman that was an adulteress. And he married her. She committed adultery again and went and lived with her lovers. And basically God said to Hosea, go and love her again. That's what God does with us. When we get away from the Lord, separate ourselves from Him, He loves us again. His love is an everlasting love. His love does not wane and wax. His love is sure. It's us that get out of sorts with the Lord. So if we're going to be the kind of servants that God wants us to be, Jesus isn't necessarily bringing that out here in this text, but since we have been emphasizing this matter of service through the Gospel of Mark, I wanted to bring that out, that we need to be servants of the Lord that are going to stick with Him and continue to be committed. The Sunday night, Wednesday night crowd is those who are committed. We continue to pray for the next generations, that they will see the need for that commitment. Be encouraged, but also be aware that we could somehow get out of sorts with the Lord. You know, don't be like Peter and say, oh, I will never defect. If we get out of sorts with the Lord, it's not God's fault. He hasn't changed. He's not going to get senile or uh, uncommitted or say one thing and do another. He's going to be sure. You and I are the ones that change. And we still have that sinful nature, so we need to do our best to guard against these things and get the mind of Christ on these matters. Our relationship with the Lord should be a relationship that we jump into for eternity. Guard against the hardness of the heart. Guard against that thought that marriage is your thing and not God's thing. It's God's way. It's His idea. It's a most precious bond that we have with the Lord. Guard that bond. You have to do that in your marriage. You have to guard the time that you have with your spouse that little things don't creep in and destroy that. Same thing with our relationship with the Lord. We have to keep things, guarded things, uh, to keep our uh, relationship with the Lord straight. And we don't become one flesh with the Lord, but we to be one with Him. 
Isn't that Jesus' goal in his prayer? Father, I pray for them that they may be one, even as we are one. And then realize that when we separate from the Lord, we're actually committing spiritual adultery. So the attitudes about divorce and marriage are attitudes that a servant ought to have toward his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to look at this portion of Scripture, what you taught the Pharisees as well as the disciples about marriage and divorce, but help us as we make the application to our lives, our relationship to the Lord. We need to have a closer walk with you, a more tighter union with you. We need to guard against the little foxes that spoil the vine, the little things that come between us and the Lord, that we don't have cause for spiritual divorce, spiritual separation from the Lord. And so help us to be the kind of servants that will be committed servants, committed to Christ. We thank you for the help and the provision that we have from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. <laughs>